In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it. Listen, the same goes for moving, and it's why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible to handle whatever comes your way. With newer, cleaner, safer trucks, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Barton Simmons there, Chip Patterson here. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, We've got the return of the Mac in Chapel Hill. We've got all kinds of insanity uh, with Gus Malzahn and Auburn to get into, breaking it down for you. How do we think this ends up? What do we think it means for both Gus and Auburn? Uh, With Clay Helton still entrenched at USC, he's making some changes on his staff, as is Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Uh, Barton Simmons is going to help us fill in the latest from the assistant coaching carousel so barton um you know we've got new i guess new college football playoff rankings from tuesday night now we're sitting here recording on wednesday morning no major surprises uh i guess you know oklahoma over ohio state that was the big debate coming out of the weekend uh you know in, instant instant takes on how you see the playoff picture uh, as we're sitting here just days away from championship saturday yeah, I mean, uh, played out as I expected. I mean, I think they, they made the right call. I think that they have the right team at four and the right team at five. I'm curious what your opinion is, Chip. If you think is, – is there a is there a path to Ohio State jumping Oklahoma if both teams win? Yes. I agree. I, I think there I think is a path. I think, it, I think I call it the Wisconsin path or the 2014 path. Right, right. Yeah, and it's probably – I mean, it's it's – I'd, I'd say the scenario to where it could happen isn't un, is, is is not hard to envision. I mean, you know that, that it's hard to, it's hard to see Oklahoma blowing out Texas. It feels like that's going to be a close game, and it certainly feels as likely as anything that um, Ohio State just dismantles Northwestern. Um, I of all the scenarios in the Northwestern Ohio State game. Of Ohio State blowout, Ohio State close win, Northwestern close win, Northwestern blowout. I would say Ohio State blowout is maybe the most likely of the four. Okay. Uh, and with that, so if that happens, and if uh, Oklahoma close win or loss takes, or, I mean, close win takes place, I think I think we could absolutely see Ohio State jump them. Um. So I see. All right here. I mean, like with that, without taking too much out of uh, locks or any of our game preview breakdowns or the fact that they're pitting us head to head on uh, Wednesday night on CBS Sports HQ, uh, we'll be in the two box, baby. Are you ready for it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Good. Bring it on. (laughs) Yeah. It's you and me tonight on CBS Sports HQ. This will be posted uh, definitely by lunchtime. So if you want to tune in 6 p.m. CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports Live 24-7 streaming service. So I, I'm looking at uh, all the different. You know, I like that you brought that up because that that's kind of how you know I also like to look at these games. I just think Northwestern is the kind of team where even an Ohio State blowout win doesn't look as impressive on the scoreboard as they're, what they're going to need. Like I just I don't see Northwestern, especially this Northwestern team, as sound as they have been. You know, they just, it feels like the kind of game where Northwestern's defense is going to do everything it can to just try to keep the action in front of them, uh, rally to the ball, and make the make good wrap-up tackles. And you know what? Eventually, they're not going to make a good wrap-up tackle, and K.J. Hill's going to go for a 60-yard touchdown. But it, it feels like one of those games where Dwayne Haskins has 52 passing attempts, but most of them are just, you know, short little screen passes and they just hit on a couple big plays because they got the best athletes in the country. And I, I don't think that win, I don't think that win is impressive enough to jump Oklahoma regardless of the nature of its win against Texas. Well, right. I think that's why it's all it's just going to be so subjective. And like I, I don't want to get into what the expectation I, the expectation I have for that game, 
uh, I'm just saying the 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 avenue is is very clearly there, right? Because um, it was and, it was and, Ohio State, Baylor, and TCU. Three teams competing for one spot. Baylor and TCU both won, but not allegedly impressive enough. And then Ohio State blew the doors off of Wisconsin and jumped them both. So, yes, the the avenue is there. Georgia takes a loss to Alabama. Oklahoma, maybe uh, the offense gets sputters a little bit. Kyler Murray throws a couple interceptions. They get a an overtime win against Texas. And then Ohio State blows the doors off of Northwestern. Then, yeah, it's, it's the 2014 path. It's right there for the Buckeyes to go into the college football playoff and get beat by 40 in Dallas. Alabama's in no matter what, right? Alabama's in no matter what. They could lose. They could lose by twenty, and they're in. Yes. Uh, and the the I think now the interesting one is because look, I, while I just said there's a likely scenario that Ohio State blows out Northwestern, I also think it's very conceivable Northwestern beats Ohio State. Very conceivable Texas beats Oklahoma. Uh, you know, very conceivable. Obviously, Alabama beats Georgia. You know, I think that's the interesting one now. If those two teams lose, Alabama handles Georgia, then who's number four? Is that do we get our UCF? Even though they could lose to Memphis, uh, does does Georgia get in despite losing to Alabama? I think if Georgia if Georgia plays Alabama really close, uh, Georgia probably is in in that scenario. I agree. Maybe. I think I think if Georgia plays Alabama close, uh, I think if Georgia plays Alabama close, then it has an, a chance to be the first two-loss team in the college football playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Though so I think they they will I, – I think they should hope for Memphis to win in that scenario because, I, I mean, how do you then – got a bunch of two-loss teams that everyone no, – no one is convinced is, is great. How do you then just not give UCF a chance right. if they're still undefeated? Right. Uh, so that that's, that's a little bit – I feel like UCF would have a pretty good opportunity there. What's the um as as you know as, as you were do you do you take anything away from any of the other uh, major adjustments that we saw from the college football playoff selection committee beyond the uh, the top six? No, I mean, I, I look. It, it's it's clear that they continue to really value the SEC, and I don't think that's some. I don't. I, I actually take them at their word that there isn't some. SEC discussion in the room that oh the SEC is is this is this really strong conference let's rank the SEC teams high or there's SEC bias I, I just think taking um, you know team by team I just think that they cl- they clearly believe that the SEC is a stronger conference but I don't think they look at it in, 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 in with that lens I think they're just looking at it that they happen to think the SEC teams are better but like getting Missouri in there continuing to have LSU and Florida rank that high that that Mississippi that really, Mississippi State and Texas A&M both in the top 20 yeah yeah I mean that that's that speaks to their their opinion of the conference and it's uh it's good news for Georgia for for that scenario we just laid out um and it's good news for Alabama I think it gives Alabama a clean conscience heading into this game that they got nothing to worry about uh so I, that was my only other real takeaway. You know, Missouri sneaking in there gives gives Georgia and Alabama both an additional top twenty five win. Um, but no, hard for me to really kind of you know get too much in the weeds throughout the rest of the rankings. It's hard to hard to know what matters. Yeah. Um, as as we start, so Notre Notre Dame in no matter what, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. Clemson in no matter what. I think so. Yeah. All right, so here we go: Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and maybe UCF. Here, here we go, buddy. Um, we've yeah, we've got the uh, we've we've got our our locks podcast coming up. We'll be recording that tomorrow as we uh, as we start to get into the, the 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 specifics of our picks and our previews. So we'll save that uh, for that time. But I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, and that is confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete, and the same is true with life off the field too, especially when it comes to moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their move successful. 
Penske Truck Rental does this by offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection. Plus, you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for our Penske Truck Rental teams on the move. And our team on the move this week is Memphis Tigers. That's right. Of all these conference championship games, a couple of them will be played on uh, on campus at the home stadium. And Memphis is traveling to play UCF in Orlando. Spectrum Field, the big old outdoor cable box. And uh, and this game, obviously you mentioned UCF going for yet another undefeated regular season, yet another American Athletic Conference championship. But, man, this is a, an enticing game because the Tigers nearly played their way out of the AAC title picture with losses early in the year, rallied back. They beat Houston last Friday, Thanksgiving weekend, to be able to clinch this bid in the AAC title game. You know, last year this game went to about a bajillion overtimes and they scored about half a bajillion points. Um, You know, earlier this year, Memphis goes up early. UCF has to have a furious rally back that includes going forward on fourth down deep in their own territory to escape uh, with the one point win against the Tigers. So, man, Memphis, this line is three as they are on the move, Barton. What kind of odds are you giving them to uh, go in and knock off the Knights? Well, um, obviously Mackenzie Milton's out. Yeah, um, that that makes a pretty big difference. But I think I've mentioned it on this pod. Like I, when I was at Memphis this summer, um, the some of the assistants and support guys I was talking to were were, were just sort of mentioning how how good their head coach is, um, how good Mike Norvell is, and and they're talking about him being good across the board. I mean, he's a great recruiter. Um, great you know program manager um ceo but but also game planner um x's and o's guy just coach and they were like man if he like if 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 our guy gets you gets gets a look at you and gets you again um man you're you're we're, we're gonna get you and and i think last year was probably as much as anything kind of what they're alluding to i mean first first game they played ucf last year they lost forty to thirteen. Uh, um, scored thirteen points against UCF in the in in the regular season. Then they catch them in the uh, championship game and and put up fifty five. Um, Sixty two fifty five nearly win that game. Obviously they they almost they really should have beat them in the regular season this year, uh, but but fell short. Um, and so they get them again. They get them without McKenzie Milton and. Uh, I, you know, I, I just think this is a team that's equipped to beat them. Um, offensive line is so good. Daryl Henderson is is going to be one of the top backs drafted this year in the NFL draft. Um, they've they've got a quarterback that's not very talented from an arm perspective, but knows where to go with the football. Uh, and and you just sort of have, have a hunch that like with Mackenzie Milton out, or I do with Mackenzie Milton out, and with uh, with this Memphis team getting their second crack at this UCF team, that they're going to come in pretty well equipped for this game. So uh, I haven't I haven't looked at my locks this week. Maybe I'm giving it away a little bit of a hunch before I even look at the lines. But uh, it, it sure feels like this is an opportunity here for Memphis, a, a team that is very uh, very well positioned to go on the road and and, and get a win for a, a UCF team that's won what 24 straight. See, one of the problems with all this talking that we do to each other and competing against each other is sometimes uh, we'll place bugs in each other's brains that we don't right. even really remember where they came <laughs> from. And so unless I have a huge about face, I think that we're going to end up having uh, a less contentious breakdown of the American Athletic Conference Championship game when we're going head to head on CBS Sports HQ because that is 100% of the reason why I think Memphis is going to win this game. I, I just here's this is the one caveat and this came up a lot in the Houston game. You mentioned Brady White's arm talent, uh, Memphis quarterback. He can turn the ball over. He's really good at turning the ball over. <laughs> yeah. He he is he is almost next level at taking a really good drive 
and then uh, ending it with no points and sending the defense back out there. And I that is the one thing that I could see being a little bit of a difference maker. UCF's defense is not um, – it has not played to the efficiency level that we saw from the team a year ago, but they still got athletes. And if, if Memphis is loose with the ball – then that's going to be a way that UCF can negate the loss of McKenzie Milton and still figure out a way. I mean, even without Milton in the lineup, they're still favorites in this game for a reason. But if Brady White takes care of the ball, then I'm, I'm riding with you, man. I, I think that this is going to be one of those stops along the way where, shoot, I mean, how, how, many, how many different coaching industry insiders are – are mentioning Mike Norvell's name on on all these lists. It's like Mike Norvell has gotten uh, the stamp of approval as a as a coaching candidate on the rise, but has yet to materialize as a, a real candidate somewhere else. I mean, what do you think a win like this would do uh, to sell a potential school on being willing to overcome whatever hangups there are there and bring him in to lead your program? Yeah, and it's great. I mean, Memphis is getting so lucky right now to hang on to him. I mean, first of all, it's a great hire. Uh, it was a little bit at the time. I mean, we, we it's such a you know he's been so successful, and we but we we kind of forget at the time it happened. It was a little bit of an off the radar hire. I mean, he was an offensive coordinator at Arizona State, and he was a young up and comer. But I don't know that Memphis was where people had him penciled into. They hired him, and he's had a ton of success. And he misses the, the, the purge last year where everyone was getting hired. And somehow he snuck through without Memphis losing him. And this year, because it's so, such a limited pool, and because places like UNC, where I hear he was, was open to going, hire Mac Brown, who we'll get to shortly. I, I don't know where – I mean, maybe if Louisville doesn't get Jeff Brown, maybe they could turn to, to Norvell. Um, maybe he'd consider Purdue if, if Brown – but aside from that, I'm not sure anything's going to open that would entice him. So they're going to they're going to steal him again for another year, and uh, I, I mean that's just such a such a steal for them. And to your point, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it it certainly heightens his profile significantly. I think if he ends that streak with UCF, but I'm just not sure that the 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 home is going to be there that he wants to move into elsewhere uh which which makes him just that much more of a um of a high profile guy next year but you know we'll 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 break this game down more later in the week as i'm sure but in some ways the fact that that mckenzie milton won't be playing uh is is makes me more hesitant here because everyone's going to be wanting to pick memphis now whereas I, i would have liked to have been sort of on the other side of this with mckenzie milton playing and me going against the grain but i have a feeling Sounds like you're on my side too here. It sounds like I have a feeling that both of us now will be a little bit more on the trendy pick uh, than than the uh, you know the sharp money. UCF UCF has uh, they've had a couple less than stellar performances this year. Yeah, but that's grading on a pretty pretty like st- steep curve. There, I mean, well, we're we're holding them to a pretty high standard at this point. True. True. Uh, and that is Memphis. They will be the team on the move. They are going to Orlando. Uh, that game at 3.30 Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, and that is brought to you by Penske Truck Rental. Remember, Penske Truck Rental offers newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road thanks to their multi-point inspections. You get unlimited miles on one-way rentals when you sign up for a Penske Truck Rental. Listen, The unexpected is bound to happen, but with Penske, you'll have the confidence that you need to handle it. Penske Truck Rental, helping you move with confidence. We were on the, uh, I was on the move yesterday a little bit, spent the early morning and uh, late morning, early afternoon over in Chapel Hill in the, in Keenan Stadium's football facility uh, as Mac Brown was introduced as the new head coach of the Tar Heels. Uh, on our last podcast, Barton was very skeptical about the potential of this going down. And I know that your sentiments have not necessarily been swayed uh, since the press conference. Well, I guess uh, your initial sentiments, at least on Twitter, certainly still had doubt after the announcement was made fi- was made official uh, by 24-7 Sports and Inside Carolina. Uh, shout out to Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, the whole gang. 
what'd yeah. you uh what'd you what'd you think man you took in the press conference um you you had some time to digest it a little bit where, where are you at right now well we are very fortunate uh the cover three podcast is very fortunate to have you uh with us because you you were boots on the ground there you're you're kind of a north carolina guy through and through not necessarily a tar heel guy through and through but a a uh you know you're you're a local there uh and and i'm interested in hearing your take uh on this but but for me i'll say this i felt like i i felt like i i left the press conference getting it more than before Mm -hmm. like maybe i'm a sucker for these press conferences i i love i love looking at the press conferences i mean we had the whole uh, breakdown last year. Maybe we'll have to do that again this year. Where we grade the press conferences again after all these hires come through. Um, but I, he is much more impressive in that setting, over that forty-five minute Q and A and and speaking uh, engagement than he than he's been in five years as a quote analyst at ESPN. Like he's just not a, he's not a football guy anymore not to say it wasn't at one point but like he's that's not his thing anymore he's not going to like like give you insight into the the x's and o's of uh or or even the the you know inner workings of what what goes into a head coach like it's it's not it, it doesn't interest me when i hear it from mac brown anymore but i got the sense that as he talked at north carolina that he is going to circle the wagons. He is going to get everyone pulling in the same direction. He is going to have a very positive and and player friendly environment. And I got the sense that he's, you know what? Like I, I could see why North Carolina wanted to go in that direction. I'm not changing my mind at this point that that was the right hire. The fact that Scott Satterfield said that he didn't even get contacted by North Carolina I think is is incredible um but I I was pleased with the way the press conference went if I'm a North Carolina person so you were there what what were your impressions what you couldn't see was uh no joke about 30 to 40 former players that were all there players who, who won Peach Bowls, players who were on teams that finished in the top 10. I mean, Mac Brown had back-to-back top 10 national finishes. It doesn't happen among North Carolina, Duke, NC State, Wake Forest. The in-state schools don't have runs of success like that. Um, he, he is, as you mentioned, very simple. They asked him about his coaching philosophy. He said, well... What we're going to do is we're going to take care of the ball and we're going to win the kicking game. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And then yeah. he went on to explain how football is very simple and basically how he was a bad analyst. I My biggest takeaway, the most significant uh, thing that I learned that I did not know going into it was not necessarily how thirsty North Carolina was to just have a little bit of sweet nostalgia throwback. Um. It was how badly Mac Brown wanted another ending to his career. He spoke regretfully about the complacency that established at Texas during his last years. He spoke regretfully about going 25 and 2 across 2008 and 2009 and not feeling like he had done good and feeling like he had failed. Right. Right. He, he talked a lot about trying to approach the job now from a healthier place, and he admitted that for him, it's more fun to fix things. This was his quote. It's more fun to fix things than it is to maintain. This is a five-year deal. I think he does four of those five years. I think his goal is to rally the wagons. I think it is probably more off the field than on the field. I talked to a lot of boosters beforehand, and they all indicated that they were checked out on the Larry Fedora era. And my opinion is that is unfair. That is unfair to Larry Fedora. I think the North Carolina fan base did Fedora wrong by checking out so quickly, but th- that was an empty stadium against NC State for Senior Day, and uh, more. I mean, the only fans that were there were NC State fans for the most part, 
And I, I think that it was a business decision probably more than anything. Like uh, North Carolina Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham ran through all the championship winning and Hall of Fame head coaches that they've got going on on campus. Like football is the sport that is dragging at North Carolina right now. And that doesn't mean much to us. You know, like if for, for you to tout your national championship field hockey team, your national championship women's soccer team, your, you know, to, to go on and on, you know, normally to college football fans, we're not gonna, that's not going to resonate. That doesn't mean much to us. But on campus, the fact that North Carolina was the, the, the football team was falling behind, that's why a quick fix is welcomed. And again, it's just, it's like North, you know what it was? It was the you up text. North Carolina sent the you up text to a, an ex and Mac Brown came running and we're going to have one last fling. Hey, what, what was, I, I, I didn't quite understand um, the sequencing when Bubba Cunningham was, was describing it. Um, did who, who called who? Could you, could you clarify on that? Were you able to tell, like, did, did North Carolina reach out to Mac or did Mac reach out to North Carolina or was it just, or was it just, they both knew what was going to happen when it happened. Um, Mac Brown, let it be known to the right people, not Bubba Cunningham. Well, first of all, to to your Scott Satterfield point, there was no coaching search. Like there was no right. national coaching search and Bubba Cunningham right. never promised a national coaching search. Um, this, this was it. This was, uh, and I, I think my, my, my belief um, is that, because the athletic department was going to need some financial help to pay Larry Fedora's buyout, then some of the people who helped provide that financial help, therefore, had a chance to probably make a suggestion. And Mac Brown still has very close connections with power players in Chapel Hill. I mean, he go, you know, he spends five months a year up in Linville. Linville, North Carolina in the mountains. Like that's, yeah. that is him and Sally's home for, you know, a third of the year. He, I think it's been cooking for, I would say it's been cooking for several weeks that if things turned out this way at North Carolina, he would be interested. And because the power players knew that, then yeah, I think Bubba called Mac. Mac had one quick conversation with his wife and it just, and it moved. He packed a bag and flew to Chapel Hill. So I got a couple of a couple of thoughts. One, look, the part of the reason that I appreciated the Max address is because two things I really value in, in pretty much anything, but also in, in coaches. And you know, we talked about this in the last year's coaching carousel, and when we were grading out some of the press conferences, I really value uh, honesty and authenticity. And you t- you touched on it, but I think. Uh, Mac Brown showed some honesty and some authenticity in the, the I mean I think he, it felt like a very honest address he wasn't making excuses for what happened at Texas he was he was sort of putting it on himself and saying look I, I, I've the the culture gotten away from me I you know I wasn't as positive as I should have been uh, you know I want to be um, I, I think it, it, he, he sort of took ownership of the mistakes and missteps he'd made across the way and uh, and I believed him when he said that they really loved Chapel Hill uh, and 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 wanted to be back. I, I I think another part of it that I felt like gave me a little bit of sense that this has got a chance is over the course of it when he was you know he he was sort of like calling people by their first name. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was he was you know when he was talking about recruiting, he, he admitted, "Look, I, I don't I I don't know." what recruiting looks like for us right now. But I'm going to grab it. I don't even know who these guys were. But he like mentioned like three names by their first names. And he was like, we're going to go hash it out and talk about it uh, after this. And by 5 o'clock this evening, I'm going to have a better sense. Um, you know, he talked about how he still knows all the other coaches in that building and how there are a lot of them have been there since he was there last and had a lot of success. And so you get the sense that the, you know, the – I mean, so often, and you hear all these coaches with this line, like alignment. We joked on it last year in the coaching cycle. Everyone's talking about having everybody aligned and pulling in the same direction. Like that is is that is very much in place here to the extent where like Mac already knows everyone in the building and everyone already likes him. And I think that Mac 
showed what a likable person he is. You see all these coaches that have coached with Mac that sort of have this loyalty to him. Um, so I think that'll play well. Uh, and so, I, you know, that said, I'm, I'm, I still have my doubts, you know, that he's got the, the coaching chops and the, the, you know, the recruiting acumen to, to get this thing figured out, but he's going to have to hire the right people around him. Um, and, uh, uh, and yet I, you know, I felt like his message was, was the right one on, on, uh, on Tuesday. His, Tuesday, yeah. his biggest challenge in terms of recruiting will be um, reestablishing a, a big-time in-state presence because Larry Fedora went to Georgia a lot, went to Florida a lot, got four-star guys, got guys that were um, you know highly rated, but Mac Brown's best teams uh, I think were about 60 to 70% in-state guys. And the North Carolina roster doesn't look like that anymore. And NC State has been beating North Carolina for a lot of the top in-state prospects. And so for fans, if when they're starting to look for ways where they are hoping the Mac Brown era can be reestablished, and when I'm thinking about ways where it's going to be difficult and a challenge for Mac to connect those dots, it's going to start by reestablishing um, that in-state recruiting presence and making it a place where – all of a sudden, you've got uh, Rocky Mount, Tarboro, Charlotte, like all, all these different spots where, by the way, Barton, I mean, like, I don't think that North Carolina, A, was the kind of hotbed that it is today, or B, that the University of North Carolina had the competition from the SEC necessarily that it does right now for some of those uh, areas, whether they're down east here in the Triangle uh, we know Wake Forest High School certainly is a powerhouse, and then uh, all the way to the western part of the state. Like I, if that is going to be a spot where he can make up a lot of ground, but I don't have confidence that it's necessarily going to happen, especially right away. Uh, I mean, it it's it certainly is going to be. I mean, I, my question is, how hard is he going to work at recruiting? He can. I, I'm convinced he can go into a, a living room and sell. How hard is he going to work? And and I think we're, it's it's going to be determined on like coaching, assistant coaching hire is going to be huge here. It's going to be everything. And the you know if if it's Gene Chizik at DC, then I'm underwhelmed. Uh, the Cliff Kingsbury for OC buzz, I don't buy it at all. You tell me Cliff Kingsbury, who Gil Brandt's tweeting is getting all sorts of calls. In fact, two firm offers from the NFL, who is allegedly in Southern California right now, maybe, maybe not meeting with USC, uh, who's going to get every offensive coordinator job that's coming open would probably like to have Cliff Kingsbury or at least give him a call. You tell me he's going to go to North Carolina. Uh, I'm not buying that. So, so what's realistic? Like I've already heard, I don't, so I don't know what's realistic at OC, but I've heard like in terms of, you know, maybe this is a little bit of getting the band back together for Mac Brown, like a Tim Brewster, at Texas A&M, who is an ace recruiter and who absolutely is is a dogged effort guy on the recruiting trail, you know he's been connected with that job. That his his he's got a hot home in North Carolina would would probably be open to going back for the right situation. Um, I've heard that that Mac Brown will will make will, will take a swing and try try to uh, potentially uh, get Jay Bateman, the defense coordinator, at Army, uh, uh, a Broyles semifinalist, finalist maybe. Um, so, you know, I, I wonder, I've, I've, I don't know this to be true, but I've wondered if Dwayne Aquina at Ooh. Stanford, you know, would be willing to listen to a Mac phone call, uh, would, would Bo Davis who coached with Mac at, at Texas be willing to, to jump back into college after, you know, he's with the lions right now after sort of a probationary period at UTSA, um, uh, you know, former Alabama coach who got got nabbed for recruiting violations. Um, so, like, there are still some really good options that have strong MAC ties that are a little long in the tooth, but are still still appear to have their fastball uh, that could be possibilities. I'm, I'm curious which which other names he can round up and who's and who the OC is going to be. Uh, but but certainly, you know. I, I, I've, I've talked myself too into the, the possibility that a staff can get rounded into form that's pretty good, 
I just wonder if he's still got the, the mojo to get those guys on board. I don't think he needs an all-star staff. I don't think he necessarily needs like an all-star in terms of a bunch of name recognition. I think he needs the right staff. And when he was the head coach at North Carolina, uh, Joe Giglio, my buddy from the News and Observer, pointed this out. One of the smartest things he did was he went to Northern Durham High School and he hired Kenny Browning. And that bringing Kenny Browning on staff uh, was the the key to really infiltrating the North Carolina high school scene. And I wouldn't be, I would, I'm curious to see, and I would be shocked if either in the Charlotte area or the Triangle area, some really successful high school coach doesn't wind up on this staff in the same way. And it would be that name, the one that we don't necessarily know, the one that doesn't necessarily have uh, a deep college football or Mac Brown connections. That might be as much of a key because look, Keenan stadium will still be full for an eight and four team. If that eight and four team is playing good defense, making the games competitive and filled with in-state kids. Um, and I think that that's really what the ceiling is for the, the Mac Brown era. Sure. And, um, I mean, that's been a, the, the, the high school coach thing has been a successful, uh, move by a lot of new coaches entering new territory. I mean, Herm Edwards, hired Antonio Pierce, who's obviously an NFL, former NFL star and former ESPN analyst, so there, there has that connection. But he also came to Arizona State from, as previously as the head coach of Long Beach Poly, which is one of the most talent-filled programs in the country. Um, you know, Matt Rule, when he took over at Baylor, hired Joey McGuire, who is the uh, head coach at Cedar Hill is one of the most talented programs in the country in the state of Texas. It's like that's that's a move that has been made before. That's a smart move, and and that's a great that's a great point, and and something I I'm I anxious to keep an eye on. I think that's and the you know even like Will Muschamp when we took over South Carolina, he he hired Bobby Bentley, uh, who was an Auburn analyst prior, but was a, a at Burns um, before that, who was you know an all timer in South Carolina. So uh, that that's that's a great call. Something I'll be keeping an eye on. All right, uh, we got to get more to assistance here in a little bit, but first I want to make sure we don't go too much further. And and you know what? Who knows? This I hope I'm gonna turn this around real quickly, Barton. But even in this crazy saga, this could end up dated uh, by the time someone listens to it. But uh, do you find with with reports buzzing uh, from you know our own, whether it's uh, Brandon Marcello or other members of the 24/7 Sports community, with with talk that. Gus Malzahn potentially could be agreeing to a reworked contract with different buyout terms. It feels like Gus is getting half fired, but still able to coach. Part of me makes it think makes me part of this makes me think that um, it's a terrible look and it's dooming for Gus Malzahn. But you know, at the other half, like this is Auburn, and that you know, for all of the insane, crazy. Ways that the Auburn football, you know, community, especially its relationship with coaches, seems to twist. It almost seems perfect. Chip, maybe I, sh- I, I like feel unprepared in this conversation, and maybe I should have done more research. But what, like, what? Why in the world? I don't. Under- I, I read the Brandon Marcella story, or maybe it was Philip Marshall's story. What's? Why would Gus Malzahn agree to a reduced buyout? What's the what's the trade off there? Is it is it because hey we're firing you, and we're going to pay you all this money unless you agree to this buyout? Because if that's the case, it appears that they're asking him for a reduced buyout because they're probably going to fire him down the road. Right. Like, what? <laughs> I guess maybe like is the mentality that all right I'll agree to this buyout because I'm going to prove to you that I'm the guy by winning next year. Like I I don't understand it. I, can you can you make make sense of this for me? Yes. That Gus okay, Miles Gus Miles on is capital F football guy. And Gus Malzahn does not want to spend a year on the ESPN desk. He may come in and he might do uh, some talking during the NFL draft and he might, you know, sit on, you know, when he, he always comes in right, like around, uh, you know, the national championship game. They always get him on the SEC network desk to talk about what he sees in Alabama. Like, yeah, there there might be a future in broadcasting for him down the line that his agent is helping him set up. But, like, I I think that it's not just um, I'll prove to you that I'm your guy. I just think that Gus Malzahn doesn't want to be unemployed. I think Gus Malzahn just 
has invested uh, a lot into the trying to to build the program, and he's seen that new football center that they just built that you know his success all the way back in 2013 certainly helped usher in and i just i mean he's got a really 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 good job and i don't think money makes a big difference to a capital f football guy who just wants to get out there and do x's and o's and i think it makes him look uh it makes him look weak from the outside but I think internally, he just wants to keep that job. And if presented with the opportunity of be fired and get all this money or agree to less of a buyout, essentially like we're going to cut cut your legs out from under you a little bit, but you'll still have a chance to grow them back. I think that's why he's taking that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, he, he must have really felt like this team was going to be good. And, and there's reasonable, I mean, it should have been good. Right. I mean, there's been a disappointing year. But because, I mean, to... To deal with this every year at Auburn, where you where you're flip flopping between playing in the dang playoffs and winning SEC championships or playing for SEC championships, and and almost getting fired, it's gotta be it's gotta be a quite the emotional roller coaster. For it's the exhausting. <laughs> and and yeah, and he could have been back in Arkansas uh, with with a new with a new shot clock. And and uh, a, a nice lucrative deal, and and uh, and and he he decided to stick with Auburn. So uh, it's it's fascinating to watch this thing play out. Uh, and and like you know, we were on the, a CBS call, and someone mentioned a, a head coach not to be named who wants the Auburn job, a big name guy. And it makes you wonder, like, who really wants this job? Who wants to deal with this sort of scrutiny? And this sort of like boosters run amok, and and you got to battle Nick, and you have to be expected to beat Nick Saban every couple years. And I mean, that's a, this is a, this is this could this may be the toughest job in college football. Not uh, that's 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 an overstatement, but it, it's it's a tough job as far as the premier jobs, as far as like the the blue blood jobs. This is one of the tougher ones out there, I would imagine. So what's the all right? So what is the what are the young what is the young roster? What does the recruiting class look like? Like what's like? Do you do you see a scenario? Uh, like if the choices are Gus does get this thing turned around, um, and he either you know plays out his contract. So I guess if, if he signed a new seven year deal, one year's down, he's got six years left on his deal. Um, over under four and a half of those years are coached by Gus Malzahn. No, I, I think I don't tr- look. Gus Malzahn is a little bit of a Houdini, and he's he typically when his back's against the wall is when he's at his you know when he has his year, and and yet I look at the rest of the SEC West, and and I look at Georgia, and I look you know I just I don't know I don't I don't see Gus being there much longer. I don't I don't see it going in that direction. I don't I mean look they. Uh, from a defensive line standpoint, I mean, Derek Brown would be gone. Nick Coe's a redshirt sophomore. He could probably bounce. Marlon Davidson probably bounces. I mean, all those guys up front are – their clock's running out. Um, they it, Look, offensively, I've just sort of lost faith that Gus is the is the mastermind he was. Um, I don't – I just don't – it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it. Mm. So under. So, under. That's my answer. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I think I think that if, I, if four and a half, if if uh, if he ex, if he coaches out five year of the six years remaining on his contract, that probably means that he's saved his job twice more since then. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah like like yeah. A, a six year like what is a what's it in chemistry the half life. Like the half life on a Gus Malzahn coaching tenure requires itself to regenerate about every three years. Like he's going to have his back against the wall. He's going to have one more good year. Then he's going to have a, a year that's disappointing. They don't meet expectations. He'll almost get fired again. He'll get one more year. He'll have a good year. And then it'll be that third one. And that is if we get to anywhere close to the end of this deal. That's yeah, but I mean, I mean like next year's isn't, I mean, next year is sort of a back against the wall year, right? Yes, 100%. So next year he better have one of his Houdini years. 
Um, which, hey, he very well might. Maybe he's got Kelly Bryant as his quarterback. Tarvis Whitlow is, is I think, going to continue to be a good player. The offensive line should be improved. Uh, they got some, I mean, they got some decent receivers. Seth Williams had a good year. Um, you know, it, so look, it's, uh, <laughs> it's conceivable. I mean, it's possible like they, that this is that next year is that year where he shoves it in everyone's face. And then Kelly Bryant's gone and they're back to the drawing board at quarterback. And then who knows, but, um, yeah, I'm never counting them out. It's just uh, as we sit here today, it's hard to hard to have a lot of uh, reason to buy in the, the the Gus Malzahn stock for a buy and hold. Does Ed Ogeron coach at LSU longer? Not in terms of number of years, but in terms of into the future. Is LSU uh, does is Ed Ogeron at LSU longer than Gus Malzahn is at Auburn? Uh, yes, I think so. Different shot clock, which I'm willing to address, but uh, I think an equally tenuous sort of fan base when it comes to the head it coach is. stability. It is, but I, this year I, I, I would expect it a lot for him, and I think they'll be they'll be improved with Joe Burrow coming back. They'll have a couple freshman running backs. I think can really make an instant impact. They have all those that loaded receiving core will be back. Um, as you know, as long as Dave Aranda's there. Uh, the, the, I expect the defense to be really good. You know what they do at off as a coordinator. I assume nothing, but and and while their offense has been, you know, hadn't hadn't been the 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 next step you'd want to see. Like I just think that Ed Ogeron, like the, I think this year did a lot for him. If they can if they can find a way to get to ten wins next year, which is which is no no brainer. I mean, but. I, I I could see him get to ten wins next year, and I think as long as they're getting to ten, as long as they're sniffing ten wins, I think Ed Ogeron is is pretty good shape. Look, Auburn's what seven and five. Yeah. Look, if if, if Coach O goes seven and five, he's in trouble. I don't think I, I don't see LSU as a seven and five team though. Um, one team that is five and seven and not going to be playing in a bowl game has already started to make some big time clean house moves. <laughs> Clay Helton retained uh, by Lynn Swan. And uh, amidst all of the unrest about USC's performance this season, it looks like Helton is going to get another crack. And so he's basically cleaning house, Pendergrass out as DC, T. Martin out as OC. Lots more changes there. I know that you've had your eye on this, Barton. You know what does what what does uh, a successful Clay Helton coaching staff look like to you? What kind of hires could he make? that would have you believing that JT Daniels is going to be in good hands to take the next step and that this Trojans team is ready to correct what's been an absolute anomaly and aberration of, of a year for that program. Well, I, I mean, who are they going to be able to get? Because who's going to sign up to go and, and join a program that is potentially with a lame duck coach. Right. Yeah. I mean, so he hires. So to 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 recap here, yesterday Tuesday, uh, T. Martin was fired. Ronnie Bradford, their DBs coach, was fired. T. Martin's their offensive coordinator, receivers coach. Konechi Oduzi is gone, who's their D line coach. Brian Ellis, their quarterbacks coach, is taking the offensive coordinator job at Western Kentucky. And and obviously during the season, Neil Callaway, their offensive line coach, was um, fired. So that's. Five of the nine assistant coaches to start the season gone. Apparently, defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast is is going to return at least as of now. Um, the special teams coordinator John Baxter, who's taken a lot of heat, is is back. Johnny Nansen, their recruiting coordinator. Tim Drevno, the running backs coach, and Kerry Colbert, their inside receivers and tight ends coach. Those guys are back. It appears to this point, the strength and conditioning coach is back. Which that's probably should have been the first guy to go if if it, if I'm Lynn Swatter, Clay Helton. Um, so who's gonna? So so basically they fired all the assistants. They fired two of the best recruiters. They kept the coordinators for the most part because Clay Helton's still there offensively. And now who are they get like? So this this is if the strength coach is the same. If the Coordinators are the same. 
and if they're just got to like restock the cupboard with 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 position coaches, then this is just a this is just movement for the sake of movement to me. What's what is culturally shifted here for USC? Um, look, they they could certainly go and hire an all star offensive coordinator. I guess that's that's very possible. I don't know who's gonna go. I don't know. I don't know who they're gonna get in a competitive market for for uh, you know that that would jump into that position. Um, but hard for me to really understand. Like to me, you you hire. You know, you, you fire your strength and conditioning coach. You go get an all star there. You fire your DC, and, you, and you've already taken fired your OC. But T. Martin was willing to stay on as a as a position coach, and he's well liked, and he's a good recruiter. So, hey, at least you got your recruiting squared away. Let T. Martin stick around. Go hire an offensive coordinator. Now the 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 recruiting operation is still in place, and and you can hire people that can let the message trickle down, set the tone offensively and defensively, and go from there. I'm just. This feels like a half measure to me, and it just it feels like more bumbling by USC. Um, so I, I'm I'm skeptical here, and I'm skeptical that that they've got some home run hire lined up. But uh, I'm anxious to see where it goes from here. Is there anything that is going to be like? Is is JT Daniels' college career going to be one of those things we look back on and just be like, God, how did how did that not work out? Like that, it feels like JT Daniels is like maybe because of all this fumbling and bumbling at USC that JT Daniels championship caliber probably won't be realized until the pros. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it feels like we're heading that way too. And to think JT Daniels, he almost could have just like waited out this storm. He could have, he could have just pl- played his senior season. Like if he had just played his senior season, he probably is the, is the is one of the things that kept like what if this team had gone I don't know three and nine four and eight was JT Daniels good for one win I mean I know JT Daniels was at times sort of I mean, he wasn't perfect he wasn't like their savior to keep him at five wins instead of three but at the same time he he's better than what they had, what else they had um, JT Daniels so, is good for two wins in my book so you know perhaps. Like if JT maybe Clay Helton's fired if JT Daniels in there, and then JT Daniels is is coming in now. Like he would have gone to USC no matter what. So maybe he's coming in now with a a new head coach, and so yeah. But I agree with you. Like if if this thing gets sideways next year, then we're gonna have a, he's gonna be likely three years with three offensive coordinators and done, and it's gonna feel like we've we've missed an opportunity to see something really special because he's also got really good. But the whole, the whole USC roster is like that. They've got dudes who are just aren't developing. And that's a shame. Like that's when I, I root for USC to figure this thing out because I've ranked all these guys really high. I want to see them succeed. I want to be right. And they're just not, um, they're just, they're, they're, they're not developing. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's it's the the pressure is on, not only Helton, but I think the the microscope is intensifying under Lynn Swan right now because he's he's sort of puppeteering a lot of these moves. It feels like, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to really see what the what the game plan is. Dude, if if this doesn't work out, they're coming for both Swan and Helton next year. That's what this is like. Lynn Swan has tied his future as the athletic director at USC to Clay Helton's success right now. Yeah. And, and he's going to have a new boss soon because they don't even have a president right now. That's the other problem. God, goodness gracious. Um, all right. I don't want to get into ultra administrative carousel, but is there anything else on the assistant coaching carousel that's really piqued your interest yet? I know we still, sometimes, you know, we get a little bit of that now. We'll probably have a little bit more after early signing period and then another round after the February signing date. But in terms of the early shifting, what are you keeping your eyes on? You said of the assistant coaches? Yeah. Or the, um, well, I mean, Tennessee's looking for an OC. Uh, um, and that's going to be an interesting one because that, can, that's, can you uh, make that higher before the early signing period? I mean, I guess it depends on who it is. Yeah. I mean, 
if they go and I mean I don't know we'll see I, I think you can um, anyways I, I think that's one I mean like the Kendall Browse of Houston is interviewing a Texas ta- at Texas State um, the uh, Mark Dion Dionafrio is is gone as DC at Houston I think maybe the one interest one thing that caught, kind of caught my eye is is do you notice that Wake uh, promoted Lyle Hempel to their defensive coordinator, uh, to permanent defensive coordinator. He was the interim guy. We kind of gave claws in hell for firing Jay Savell middle of the season, expecting things to get better, and things kind of got better. Yep. And Lyle Hempel went and earned, like earned his job, and so that's maybe that was maybe that was why we're on the sideline. He's coaching, but that was that ended up being a good move because he kind of got a, um, a you know a, a season interview. Lyle Hemphill, and, and he earned it. So credit to him and, and Wake for making that move. Uh, yeah, the fact that Wake Forest is bowling is incredible, given the the quality really of the quality of play at times this season. And uh, thirteen starters or major contributors lost this season because of injury, and they've still figured out a way. I mean, what did you say? They we had safeties dressing as linebackers, and we had poli sci majors dressing as safeties by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bunch That's of exactly bunch right. of law school nerds were trying to play free safety uh, by the end of the season <laughs> at Wake Forest. So yeah, if Hemphill can get it done with them, then absolutely uh, he deserves some credit. Uh, any anything else from coaching carousel or coaching tracker before we get out of here? Um, well, it seems like as we as we record here on Wednesday morning, it seems like we could be getting close to figuring out the the future for Jeff Brom. Uh, whether that's going to be at Louisville or staying at Purdue, I still think I still think Louisville makes it happen. I still think that that's calling to him in a in a Scott Frost in Nebraska kind of way. Um, but we'll see on that one. Um, and, and then Purdue opens up, and and you know I think Mel Tucker at Georgia is a guy that's starting to get some buzz as a as a coaching candidate at a lot of places. You know, one that's interesting to me too. Uh, just yesterday, a lot of a lot of like legitimate. Buzz started to to pop up about Derek Mason being a real candidate at Colorado. Wow, um, which would be very interesting. I, I think that job makes a lot more sense for Derek Mason, honestly, than Vanderbilt does. Um, whether he's an exciting hire for Colorado fans, I don't know. I mean, haven't you know, not not the most not the sexiest record. Uh, but if I'm Derek Mason and I get that offer, I, I can understand why it'd be compelling. Um, Phoenix, Arizona guy played his college career at Northern Arizona. Obviously, uh, long you know, 2010 to 2013. He's at Stanford. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's another another guy, another guy that's getting his, a, a new boss here pretty soon. Uh, as far as the athletic director, uh, he gets to go somewhere, start a fresh clock with a guy that hired him. Um, gets in a in a in a region where he's more familiar with, like you mentioned, and 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 recruiting wise, where he's a little com- more comfortable with. I mean, even Vanderbilt's just like. They've been mining the West uh, for guys, so uh, I, that that's that's one that really intrigues me right now to see if 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 some more legitimate movement continues to pop up there. You know, uh, I think that Dan, if 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 all of a sudden uh, we drop in Derek Mason to the Pac-12 uh, fist fight, then boy, that fist fight just got a lot more intense after we saw with him and Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham. That's right. It gets a little scrappy there. <laughs> it's a little scrappy. Um, <laughs> what what uh Tennessee head uh, Tennessee offensive coordinator who who is uh who would you want? Um, Anybody come to mind? No, in, I mean I just I want who I want whoever's gonna run uh run the dang ball. Yeah, All right? I think that's what Jerry Pruitt wants. We're Which gonna play with like, physical the, style. We're gonna take care of the ball. We're gonna run off tackle, and until we can run off tackle better than you can defend our off tackle, we're gonna keep running it. Some when someone is going to hire Hugh Freeze, someone's going to quit being so holier than thou, and and they're going to hire Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze, and Jack. and he's going to crush it. And I don't think it's going to be at Tennessee because I'm not sure Phil Fulmer is going to sign off on it. But when Hugh Freeze gets back in the game as an OC, look out. Um, but I heard uh, what one name that's popping up on the hot boards uh, is Freddie Kitchens, who's the interim OC at the Browns right now. And if you watch Hard Knocks, man, Freddie Kitchens will continue to add some Alabama redneck flavor to that staff 
it's going to get country in those meeting rooms. It already is with Jeremy Pruitt leading the way, and uh, he he would fit in well culturally over there. All right, then that's what I want. I want whatever. <laughs> I, want. I want whatever I want is going to keep the Jeremy Pruitt culture alive and well. I don't want no asparagus. Yeah, I don't. I don't want anything that flies in the face. I don't want any cultural diver. Uh, not excuse me. I don't want to say that uh, at the risk of. <laughs> but listen, hey, listen. People come from Alabama from uh, from all shades and walks of life. I don't want anything that changes that Hoover High School mentality. No doubt, and yes, and this is and yeah, we're not even bagging on it we like it we like I love it. it yeah I want, I, want, I want all the country you can give me over there in knoxville <laughs> oh man good stuff all right we will be back thursday morning recording our locks podcast so make sure you get that for championship week so you can have your card set for the weekend you can follow him on twitter at barton simmons you can follow me at chip underscore patterson thanks to penske truck rental sponsor in the show barton thank you very much Deserve.